As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC, brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John, with me is Jason. Good evening. And good evening, Michael. Good evening. The Putting the W back in Watford, it's Mike. Hello. Yes, because uh, Watford have won 2-0 at home to Huddersfield Town. Uh, and four weeks ago, we lost away at Huddersfield 2-0. And, well, we had a change of manager. And I suppose in many ways, this podcast, we're going to sort of compare and, and see where Watford are after just four games under uh, Cisco. Let's start, though. I want to know, lads, who for you was the key player in that performance? Jason, who was the key player for you? Maybe an obvious one, but I'm going to say Tom Cleverley just just for the from the point of view of chasing down that back pass the look of determination on his face and and sort of that Tom Cleverley engine that we know he's, that we know he's got went into overdrive is that what it was Jace? it was the the look in, the look in his eye that that froze the goalkeeper to his to his line <laughs> yeah i think it must have been cause there's no other explanation as to why the keeper just sort of stood back and and waited it was bizarre wasn't it just felt up until that point we just lacked a bit of punch up front didn't we and I think when we were either playing patient football that was allowing Huddersfield to get men back or we were sort of if we did try to up the tempo and get it out front early the those balls weren't very accurate and so Huddersfield was sweeping those up and we needed something to happen to change the game and it was Tom chasing that down getting the goal and then all of a sudden we looked comfortable we seemed a lot more composed our passes were were starting to, to stitch together a lot better we were sort of in control of the game from that point on with that bit of confidence that the goal gave us so yeah for me for that moment Tom Cleverley yeah I mean it was the 54th minute and the, Mike, the, that first half and second half were very very different yeah I mean the first half was a real difficult watch actually it was um it was just very it just felt very fractious from the from the start straight away I mean one thing I did notice and we'll talk about him but Batman was very very vocal but, but apart from that 
it was there was there was lots of vocality. Is vocality a word, John? You're a teacher. Let's go with it. I'm going to go, go with it. it. I love I'm it. I'm in one of those moves. Yeah. There lots of back chat from the Watford players um, to the ref. Um, early on, Troy Deeney did really well to to earn possession and and played Sarin. He felt he got a tug and he just stopped. He wasn't playing for the yeah. whistle. And it was just it was all very stop start. It felt very irritable and and as jason just said there nothing nothing was really sticking the the, the passes were were misplaced there was a bit and of it wasn't on. like huddersfield were trying to to no. play that way to make us uncomfortable absolutely just, not. I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you what it was it was just something in the air wasn't there and, and you know you mentioned you i think you're right to mention huddersfield and the the lack of impact they had on the game i mean that was a very very bare bones huddersfield side they were missing a lot of players um, so that was a, a skeleton side, if you like. It was it was a long way from their their first eleven. So this, uh, you know, going to the ground, it felt like an opportunity, or just before kickoff, it felt like an opportunity for Watford, who we've said time and time again are looking for to kickstart their season. Um, and looking at the Watford side that was that was named, you know, that would be a Watford side that could be comfortably be named in the Premier League. So. It felt like an opportunity against a team that was shorn of a lot of their, their better players and it just didn't click for whatever reason. Like I say, they were sniping at the ref. There was a lot of arguing at the ref. A lot of mention on the, the WhatsApp group of some of the uh, fruity language that was ho- heard over the uh, the Hornet High feed on, on TV. And it was just, it was like that. And there was misplaced passes. You know, True Steekong tried to, to get a few balls going and they uh, and they were misplayed. So the, the balls were being fizzed into feet too hard. And it just, it was... It was a dog's dinner of the first half, really. But we got we got through it. We did, and I think that that's fair to say. And I think I I was a bit glib at half time, sort of, said, and made that exact point that it wasn't a great first half. And a couple of people rightly pulled me up on it. And said, "Look, Watford, Huddersfield haven't really laid a glove on Watford at all. Batman didn't have a save to make, so you know, let's not get too snippy about it." And I think that's fair. But it did feel like it was going to take something bizarre, which the the first goal was, which Jason's explained already, to to break the deadlock. And then once. Uh, once the deadlock was broken, then it felt like Watford finally got got going. They they, they found their mojo. Yeah, and and go on, Mike. What about you? Jason said T Club was his uh, key player. Who was your key mm. player? Well, I think he's been my player of the season so far, and it was, it's Kiko Firmenia. And I just think in every game he plays, he tends to look a cut above. He looks. I said that that entire first eleven could could be a, a Premier League side, and. But he is the one that's consistently looked like a Premier League player, a cut above. You know, he looks like he's got that little extra bit of time on the ball. He's looking to do something with it. He looks calm, composed and assured. And of, of course, for the second goal, we saw what we, we love about him so much. A lovely run. Because you um, know what? I had literally just thought, you know what? I <laughs> feel like I've seen Tiki. I don't you know. I know he's there and he's playing, but I don't have not You know that thing where you, you notice and you remember players in some games. And sometimes that's great because they're doing their job. No nonsense. They're getting on with it. I thought, I don't really notice Kiko much in this game. The next minute, there you go. Down the wing. Controls the ball the wrong side of the, the Huddersfield player. Into the box. Across it goes. And, and a goal for Pedro. Lovely to watch. and But it's sort of frustrating as well. Because you think, wow, oh, it's really not that hard, guys, is it? Because much as, you know, <laughs> as I just said, we laboured for the first half and just couldn't couldn't click at all. And then once once that goal went in, the shackles came off, and it just felt like they warmed up. They they sort of um, they came out of hibernation. They found their mojo, and yeah, kick kick started by by Kiko down the right. Lovely ball in. I mean, we don't want to talk about him again too much, but Saar missed miss hit his shot, which allowed Pedro to to slot home. 
Um, so it's a lovely goal, and you know Watford did enjoy a period of of quite enjoyable dominance after after cleverly did break the break the deadlock. And but the question you do you do question yourself: Oh, where is this Watford? Where was this Watford side for the first forty five minutes? But yeah, I think I'll, I'll answer your question directly. I thought Kiko. He consistently looks like one of the best players on the pitch, and um, I often, when I'm sat there watching it, and all too often it's been been quite turgid, quite a difficult watch this season. And you do think, where would we be without without Kiko this year? He really has been a shining beacon of uh, of Premier League quality. Uh, Jason, on the end of that cross that scored the second goal, of course, as we know, was was Jao Pedro, and you know he had a, you know started up front with Dini, uh, and that goal just shows that he was just a step ahead of Mister Dini to get on the end of that goal, um, and he did a lot of running, a lot of running, maybe enough for, for both of them. Is it you know part of that continuation of his development we've seen this year? He's been out for a while, played last week, but he's he's slowly, slowly now developing, isn't he? He is, yeah, and uh, you use the word partnership again. I didn't. I'm not sure I saw a partnership again today between those two. It's like Troy was doing his his thing, Jao was doing his thing. I think at the start, okay, perhaps I'm being a bit harsh because at the start it looked like Jao was the more advanced. Dini was dropping back, but then that didn't seem to last too long. And in the end, it seems to be Jao that was sort of dropping deep to come and get the ball a lot more, um, and sort of being a, a lot more mobile as you'd probably expect. But again, he's. He, you say it's part of his development. I think we were seeing this from him right at the start of the season as well. Getting about the pitch. And, and again, that strength was on show today. And if you're talking about the goal, I think he started that move as well, didn't he? Was it him that played the ball out wide to Kiko in the first place? And then he's made that run to get onto the onto the cross at the back post, which probably helps being a late run. Probably hard for, for a, a striker to be picked up. But it just shows the, the benefit of that mobility, of that sort of moving between the lines. I thought one of the things I did notice today that I thought was better than it has been this season was some of the movement when we were on the ball. I did, was actually starting to see, perhaps more in midfield actually, when the defenders had the ball, you'd start to see midfielders moving around um, and just sort of creating space. And as the game wore on, I thought that the space has got more and more. Um, and if you've got someone like Zhao dropping deep to get the ball, get involved in the play let the guys out wide do their stuff because again under Shisco we, we seem to be making good use of, of the wide players perhaps less so in the first half better in the second half but then Jao's made that run that late run no one's picked him up and that means he can sort of ghost in at the back post and he's got an easy finish for the goal one thing I did pick up on and that was um, Jao Pedro giving Ismail Asar a massive verbal volley right before the, the final whistle they really he really got stuck into him I'm not quite sure what it was about, and it's, it looked like they were intent on on sorting it out after the after the final whistle as well. They both sort of headed down to the tunnel to to deal with that. So that was that was interesting. Mike, the the thing, oh, so the surprise, the oh, moment uh, when the the teams came out in at two o'clock was was seeing the fact that Hughes and uh, Zinkenagel didn't start because they're the they're the players we want to see what Zinkenagel can do. We want to see can Hughes do what he can do, um, and we we have been hoping he was going to bring to this Watford team. They came on late on. Um, Chalabar uh, went off. Uh, Hughes came on in the in about the 69th minute. What did you see from those two, uh, particularly Hughes? Did they did either make an impact on this on this performance, or was it just the fact that they came on when we were two 0 up? I think it's really easy, and we've said this before, that it's the, it's the player who isn't playing that can always make the difference, isn't it? And I think there's a, a bit of a danger of that with with Will Hughes. He's had such rotten luck. 
um, in terms of getting into the side this season for a whole host of reasons. And I believe he was poorly in the week and wasn't able to train, which is why he was on the on the bench today. And just another, you know, example of uh, of, of just him just having vile luck, really. But I thought when he came on. I just thought he he made a big difference. He talked about I talked about Kiko earlier, but uh, having that Premier League sort of impact, just looking composed on the ball. Well, I think Will Hughes popped up everywhere, and he he looks sort of a, a lot more dynamic. A little, there's a m- lot more cut and thrust about him than 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 there is in the midfield without him. And I think key to Watford's success or any success that Watford are going to have for the rest of the season is going to be with Will Hughes. I think with Etienne Capu moving on, there's a lot of work to be done in that midfield. And, and I think Will Hughes is, is the man best equipped to do it. I just pray that he has, um, he's, he's able to, to have a good run of games because Watford are really going to need him. I thought he looked, he looked good when he came on. Admittedly, you know, Watford were ahead by then and you could argue that uh, the, 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 the life was out of Huddersfield. There wasn't really much danger of them getting back into the game. But nonetheless, what we're looking for in this Watford side is a spark, isn't it? Something that drives us forward. And I think that's what Jao Pedro was, was the, really one of the him and Kiko were the only ones really that were showing any glimpses of, of sort of prowess and, and real sort of guile and, and skill to, to move us forward. Whereas Will Hughes is a bit more grab it by the scruff of the neck and, and make it happen. So I think he's, he's going to be absolutely vital for Watford. We just need to keep him, whatever we do, we need someone to look after him, pray for him, whatever, wrap him in cotton wool, whatever, just keep him safe. Keep him warm, keep him fed, keep him watered, because um, I think he's going to be he's going to be really important. I think he just he looks important. He looks like the part. He he looks like he can can make a difference for me as soon as he he comes on. I know where my mum. Maybe he can become part of her bubble. Um, <laughs> look after him, Jason. The the, the the thing we we've got used to maybe a little bit this year uh, is defence because it was Watford two Huddersfield nil, uh, and again defensively. I know they weren't really pushing us. I know they weren't really challenging us. They weren't asking questions. But a great performance from our from our d- uh, defence. Yes, was was very good today. I say clean sheet, solid. Backman had pretty much nothing to do mm. all game. I think there was one save late on from one of the youngsters that came on for Huddersfield. Great to see these guys who've sort of come in new to the squad. Sierra Alto's only just got his run of run of games. Um, did very well slightly unlucky to get booked when he did yeah very um and and kong is the master of the shoulder to shoulder challenge (laughs) it just does it so well it's it's fun isn't it so effective sometimes you get a bit worried as he sort of goes in and sort of looks like he's he's going to play the player rather than the ball but just seems to do such a good job of it and he he would have had a couple of tricky sort of opponents today Fraser Campbell's got a bit of pace on him um, and then Danny Ward came on who's, who's a decent experienced championship striker and he seemed to handle those two reasonably effectively and, and without without fuss and I think I've said it before if you've got defenders that can deal with strikers with no fuss then you're onto, onto a winner there there was a lovely moment towards the end of the game where the Huddersfield got away down. This was very, very late on, probably post 90 minutes. One of the Huddersfield players got in down the left, 
Trusty Kong sort of tracked him and effectively harried him until the guy put the ball out for a for a goal kick. So did what you were talking about really there, Jace just sort of marshalled him perfectly in a, in a dangerous area and and basically won a won a goal kick. And Sierra Alta was right over on the the left hand side, but he ran over and gave. Um, true Steekong, a massive sort of chest bump just to say, yeah, awesome, well done, mate. And just to see that sort of, that connection there between them, uh, because I think that's been lacking a little bit. You wonder you wonder about this, this this team sort of, there hasn't been much joy emanating from it. So just to see that little, that little sort of, Sort of thing there was I thought was really encouraging and I thought yeah that speak you that, that speaks volumes about how they're feeling back there they've done they've done really well and Sierra Alta I think again having come into the team um, hasn't hasn't looked back at all he's looked absolutely imperious hasn't he and just I really enjoyed that moment just like them enjoying a job well done I thought yeah fair play even though you haven't been stretched massively just to sort of recognise each other is is good and just to see the smiles on on Pedro's face as well after the goal it's little things like that that I think we can take uh, we can take heart of Spitz talking about taking heart just seen a stat come through from John Sinclair on on Twitter after 23 games this is still still our best start to a championship season during the Pozzo era so despite it not being the most amazing performance certainly not feeling like the most amazing season so far decent uh, decent signs perhaps one of the one of the um, things that does bode well for the future games was the way we finished today I thought because we we finished on the front foot rather than sit back and defend a 2-0 lead we actually kept control of the game. We kept the momentum. We were looking to try and get a third without being sort of gung-ho on the attacking front. It was it was sensible but controlling football. And we were still being positive. And I know in the past we've sort of talked about how quickly we can be negative and sit back and try and soak things up. We didn't do that today. So I think if we can continue in that vein for the next few games, that will be a positive. And I look forward to the side being 2-0 up in every game for the rest of the season and playing that way for the last 15, 20 minutes. That's positivity for you. Well, the, the, the true test, of course, is the games that are to come. Uh, you know, we've got Barnsley in the week, Stoke, then Millwall, then QPR, Mike. And so the question I have is the team that we saw out there, even with mm. the, the level of substitutes we were, we were putting on, we were playing Huddersfield uh, and a weakened Huddersfield. Do you think we've got what it takes to you know, really take a game to one of the, the top sides and, and guarantee almost a good performance and the right results against teams that we're, we're meant to get those results against. We can't guarantee a performance because we do, we haven't had a we haven't really had a, anything approaching a complete performance all season. And and during the first half, I must admit to getting a little bit grumpy and thinking, oh, the thought of this Watford side is always so much better than the than the reality of it. And again, I'm, you know, I'm looking at the team sheet now, and the side we put out is on paper is tr- tremendous, and there's strength on the bench as well. But they just made too much like hard work of it in the first half, so nothing can be guaranteed. But absolutely, this side can do it. They can take it. You know, the teams you mentioned there have got Barnsley next, and this is absolutely no disrespect to Barnsley in the same division. They've beaten us this season. But that they should hold no fear for this for this Watford side. There is talent throughout it. And I know we as a fan base have scoffed at that sort of ongoing. It's almost become a bit of a sort of meme, hasn't it? A bit of a joke that Watford best squad in the championship. But look at the look at the take a minute to look at the side and the squad that was available to us today. It is strong and there is talent there. They haven't solved the question yet and Jason touched on it in terms of Troy and and Pedro not quite firing not quite working as a as a partnership um you know Troy as well you know that that challenge in the first half perhaps lucky it was just a yellow card that showed Ooh, his frustration 
so things not quite quite going right. But again, you know, when Troy came off, very, very vocal, very, very, um, he was cheering on the rest of the team. Lots of advice for Andre Gray, lots of, you know, very vocal. So playing his part, but it's just not quite quite clicking, is it? And that they need to solve still um, that the, the issue in the in the final third. All too often in the first half, our problems came because we were trying to hit long balls that weren't finding their target or were misplaced or the movement wasn't quite right. And it did take. Let's be, you know, let's be honest about it. Let's not get carried away. It took a, a the, the goalkeeper switching off for Watford to find a way into the game. That you know we've we've spoken at length. It was a weakened Huddersfield time side, a, a Huddersfield side that wouldn't have expected to to challenge really Watford this afternoon. Um, and then it did take a mistake for us to get into it. So there is still work for this side to do. But the, absolutely, they can. We should be going into every game. Confident, and I think you know, I don't think Zinkanagel had the impact that, that, that uh, when he came on that he would have liked. He, he, he took a while to warm up, I think, and his, his performance against Manchester United was a little bit more impressive. But we've got him to come in, we've got Will Hughes to, to come into the fold. Um, so there is talent there is attacking options there are um there are there, there are people that can potentially unlock our um, our issue up up front but it does have to happen soon and they have to work it out and that and that's when it comes down to the head coach and his his team of coaches you know a lot of people have been critical saying oh he's just a a yes man he's just there to deal with the side that's that's delivered to him and well, yes, he is. That's the role of the head coach at Watford. He he doesn't have a really much of a say in, in signings. He has to mould what's given to him into a into a winning side, and that that is now his job. Just has to find the the willing formula, and it still it still looks elusive. But you know, with Barnsley on Tuesday, it's we should go into that game with with confidence. We have to. We really, really have to. And we said it, I said it in the podcast in, in the week, it will either click and we'll do well or it won't and we won't. And we got a bit of fortune today, but they go into work on um, whenever it is, Sunday or Monday, off the back of a win. They have to turn that win into momentum. We've talked about one man quite a bit on this podcast uh, in the last few episodes, but not not today so far. He did get himself 20 minutes on the pitch, um, didn't necessarily do much. Andre Gray, and, and yeah, we've talked about him quite a lot, and we need some help. We need some input. Mike's surname is Parkin. He has a son called Arlo, and this is our feature, Michael Parkinson. Gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson. It's Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Good. 2021, how's it treating you so far? Fabulous. Fabulous, glad to hear it. Bit of positivity. Now, someone who needs a bit of positivity is Andre Gray. Really struggling at the moment. Hasn't, hasn't scored for a while. Came on as a substitute against Huddersfield. Didn't really make an impact. Arlo, you're, you've been captain for your team. You're, you're quite good at sort of rabble-rousing and giving people, getting people going. What would you say to Andre Gray, just to, to give him a little bit more confidence? Keep going, never give up and try your best. If, if your best isn't good, like, if your best isn't enough to make us win, I just just know that you tried your best and you, put, you worked hard. Lovely. There you go, Andre. Arlo has spoken... Hello, thanks so much for joining us. I hope your your day, your week, your year continues to be fabulous. Thank you so much. Toodaloo. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you haven't subscribed to this athletic yet, then you've got we've got a deal for you as a listener to From the Rookie End. Half price is what we'll do for you this month. Uh, only three ninety nine. All you have to do is go to theathletic.com forward slash rookie end uh, and there you get the you get the what is what is the now traditional uh, we all know the Athletic Four, especially the stuff that we talked to Adam about, the, the long-form journalism, the original reporting, and uh, the in-depth analysis of the world of sport. But we've had a, our own little go at a bit of a, uh, a bit of in-depth uh, <laughs> looking at something, Mike. You spoke to Marvin Sordell uh, this week, and you're, you're going to hear the interview in a, in a minute. Where did this start from? It, for me, it, it, it comes from our, our chats in the WhatsApp group, yeah, between us all, and and everything that's been going on Twitter recently about fans questioning the the commitment and the motivation of some of the, the players that are, are currently pulling on the Watford shirt. It came from the week before last, really, when and it was in, in the fallout, following the fallout of the, the Swansea game where um, obviously the Swansea strikers celebrated in front of Ben Foster's GoPro and uh, Ben Foster tweeted about whether he should include the uh, that celebration in the video. And I think the, the the light-hearted nature of the of the tweet sort of set, upset some some Watford supporters, and you can understand that they're feeling raw after after losing the game. Troy Deeney's working for Talksport on the Monday, doing his his radio stuff, and I think. The week that, that that followed that, it all felt incredibly short-tempered, irritable, and it felt like for the for the first time in a long time, the entire Watford fan base was really just frustrated, and it all felt like it boiled over. And I think that sort of speaks a little bit of frustrations as to as to Watford and the situation they find themselves in. And I think it speaks to the, the, the situation that we all find ourselves in. It's a very difficult situation. You know, the worldwide uh, situation at the moment is, is problematic for us all and everyone is struggling. And it just felt it all came to a came to a head but I I did think some of it was potentially a little bit unnecessary you know I think sometimes we forget that that the guys that pull on the yellow shirt ultimately our heroes are still just blokes they're human beings trying to do their best and I think sometimes that gets missed and, and you know we 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 try and, and guess what's going on in their heads uh, and it, it's terribly hard and you know we, we've interviewed countless footballers and ex-footballers over the last 11 seasons of seasons of doing this podcast and you know it's always the the former players the retired players those who have stepped away from the game that will give you that little bit more insight into 
you know, what, what players think and feel. And that's sort of why we got in touch with Marvin Sordell. He's retired early and, you know, he's sort of, he, you know, he's moved on from football. But his achievements, you know, he, he pulled on a, a, a Watford shirt, which is what we all want to do, really. He played the yeah. Premier League. He represented England. He took part in the Olympics. And, and what he's doing now is even more admirable than what he did as a footballer. Hugely. I'm, I'm in absolute awe of, of Marvin Sordell because he went through a really difficult time. And I think it's well documented that the, you know, the move to Bolton came, came at a, a difficult time for, for Watford. Then his time at Bolton was, was challenging for a whole host of reasons. And I think most Watford supporters know what, what Marvin went through. But what he, what he did, he, he, he used those difficult experiences and he recognised those difficult experiences and found a way to turn them round. So to turn, turn them into positive experiences that he could then use to help others. And he's never been shy about speaking out and speaking up, but speaking up incredibly thoughtfully, powerfully and articulately. Um, and for, his, for him to turn a, a tough time into, into something that is so impressive, it, as I've always found inspirational. And he took the time to, to talk to a, a number of Watford supporters on Twitter in, in that week where everyone were getting a little bit aerated, shall we say, and, 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 and gave his side of the, the story, sort of the, explained what it's like for a, for a footballer. And I think just what he's managed to do is, is hugely impressive. And it was, it was a no-brainer to reach out to him. And, and, and luckily, he was, he was able to talk to us. And I, and I found it enlightening. And I'm going to use the word again, but, but inspiring to speak to him. I thought it was absolutely fantastic to talk to Marvin. So here's Mike uh, with his conversation he had with Marvin Sordell early this week. Just look inside the, the mind of a, of a striker, Marvin. What, what are the things that can go wrong for a, when you're playing up top? I think the biggest thing as a striker is overthinking. Especially when you've been in a team that's been relegated, as I have done many times, unfortunately. <laughs> but the biggest thing is is not really getting opportunities. And so when you do get the opportunity, you've been thinking about it for so long and you maybe snatch at it and you don't take it or it doesn't go as planned. And then you may think, oh, when's the next one going to come? And, and you overthink and you overthink and you overthink. And you might not get one for a couple of games. And as last season... You know, being down the bottom of the league—that's mm. that's what happens. You know, you're not you're not scoring goals, and which is one of the reasons why you're down the bottom of the league. And so, you overthink these things, you get relegated, and that mentality kind of carries on. Sure, you, you mentioned relegation. We can't get away from it, unfortunately. And I remember yeah. talking to someone. Um, it was post lockdown, and and Watford's performances after after lockdown were, were surprisingly poor from from my point of view. And I was speaking to this this guy, and he said, "Mike, you have to remember." That while you've been in lockdown and all the struggles you've gone through with your family and work and all that sort of stuff, these guys have had that too. And it, and it gave me pause for thought. I thought, actually, yeah, I, I, I see these guys as footballers and not necessarily going to sound terrible, but not necessarily. I don't really think, think of the human element of it, their, their day-to-day life, the fact that they might have been not been able to see their kids so much or, or so on and so forth. So those off-field issues that footballers have to deal with, Marvin, I think as supporters sometimes we're guilty of not perhaps giving them the, the attention or the, or the space they deserve. What, what's your experience of being a footballer and having to deal with, with off-field issues? Firstly, I think you raise a very interesting point and it's not necessarily a fan's fault. I think at times... You know, even myself, you, you kind of think, how how do these people not see it? But, mm-hmm. you know, even when you kind of go, go down to the basic things in football where people are not even called by their first name, mm. they're called by their surname. And and straight away you think, well, 
that's not necessarily just who I am. You know, my friends call me Marvin. Yeah, you're like Sordell, Sordell. And straight away, that kind of distance distances people from me as a person. And, and that human element kind of slips away slightly. And then you think of, you kind of take it up a notch and you think, you know, football as an industry, as, as a game is so overanalyzed. It's such a big business where the clubs are the big business and the, the players are the products, essentially. And I think sometimes that gets missed when you, you think about all of the other things that happen outside of football. And, you know, for me, when I was younger, I, I, I found that balance really difficult to understand, you know, because I, like every young player, was on social media, or every young person really even, was on social media. You know, at that time, I, I had a lot of different interest, interests. And, you know, as any person does, you share them. You share them with the world, you share them with your feed, and you talk about them because that's what social media is for, really, to give more people a glimpse of your personality and who you are. And for me, that was a massive thing because at the time I felt so close to Watford fans in particular. You know, there were many that I would say hi to all the time and have conversations with after the game. They'd speak to my mum and my mum used to go on the... um, the supporters coach to away games and she'd have conversations with them. It, it felt that close knit. So it felt fine for me to then, as I moved on beyond Watford to continue in the same kind of way and be very open about who I was, what I was interested in. But when you kind of got to those higher levels, I think what comes to mind always is, is that you're only here for football. And so you don't have the authority or you don't, you shouldn't, step outside of your lane, you know, whether it's talking about topics or whether it's having any sort of interests or other activities or hobbies you may be doing as well. That sort of only here for football phrase is quite depressing, I guess, in a way, isn't it? Because, you know, I'm more about the, than just this podcast. You are more than just about, about football. And do you think there's an issue? We, we talked about the supporters side of thing, Marvin, and how, how we are often probably too quick to, to, to draw, draw a conclusion on or, or make a judgment. What about inside inside the game? Because I know when you moved to, to, to Bolton, there, there, was a, there was a few issues and there were a few public statements, weren't there, about, it's about your social media, wasn't there? And so so do, do you think there's an issue within the game in terms of just the pressure and, and sort of how how are people looked after in the game? And is it is it enough necessarily? I'd say not. I mean, I think the game's moving forward it's moving forward slowly, but I think it's it's definitely moving forward. And one of the things is around well-being, and you know, I touch on well-being and mental health a lot. But, you know, it's one of the things I do for a living these days is deliver talks and workshops in this subject. And I talk about the links between mental health and identity. And one of the biggest things that I struggled with was finding a real identity because for me all my identity was, was being a football player. And so you're, you're allowing your identity to take charge of your emotions, essentially, because that's what we do on a, on a daily basis. If you're, you know, if your identity is, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a father and I'm a happy father. And I'm, you know, I, I enjoy spending time with my family. I'm a family man. A lot of your sense of enjoyment and your emotion, you're going to get from that identity and, and, the things that surround your identity. And for me, one of the biggest problems was that my identity was football. Football was my safe space when I was a, when I was a kid. And that was because it was my hobby. So it was my, it's my escape from 
the rest of the world, essentially. And for most people, that is the case. Who are football fans, it's their escape from the world. But people forget that for football players, this is their job. And your job cannot be your safe space. Your job cannot be your escape from your job. It doesn't make sense. And if you're relying on that to fulfill you in, in that capacity, then it's only going to end badly, essentially, because I wondered very much why I was struggling to separate the two. You know, I'd go home after maybe a bad training session or a bad match, and every little detail was just tearing me apart, and I couldn't, I couldn't separate that. I couldn't go home and, and just switch off and think about other things, and which is one of, one of the reasons why I did go into having other hobbies and interests, because I thought I have to find a way to be able to separate my work from my life. Because that's what strikes me as being difficult. You know, footballers are usually relatively, you know, young men, potentially inexperienced in the world. Um, and somehow you're operating at such an elite level with, with all those pressures. And just how do you find that balance between committing because obviously football's a team game as well so you have to commit to your own sporting development you have to commit to being there for your team as well but how do you also balance that up with those commitments but also committing to your to yourself and your own like you say your your mental health and well-being yeah I mean that's that's, it's a big challenge and a lot of football players do suffer from mental health problems and you know many kind of hide them and bottle them up in various ways but it's something that is quite common you know I saw it in the change room and even players who maybe don't necessarily think that themselves and think that they are struggling themselves I've seen a lot of telltale signs that that I was showing and portraying in earlier times in my life it's just difficult right talk to me about perhaps what it's like in a dressing room would you would you feel or do you think there's players who perhaps feel unable to share it because you know I think of a dressing room and I still think of it being very boisterous very noisy uh, very sort of alpha male type thing and I think we are getting better as uh, as people at, at sharing our feelings but do you think the dressing room environment has changed much necessarily since you started to what it's what it's like now it's definitely changed a lot but you know to have that conversation in any capacity in any space is very difficult and mm. you know the change room is no different in that sense and I don't think it's necessarily too different from a working environment in that sense. You, you wouldn't just open up in the middle of a meeting and say, oh, I'm, I'm, I need to say this, I'm really struggling or I'm, I'm, I'm suffering with mental health issues or depression or whatever it may be because you'd, you'd find that very daunting and very uncomfortable to do so. And football in the change room is very much like that. Most people are, it's a busy environment, it's a busy yeah. place and there's a lot going on and there isn't really... Well, there aren't really slow periods of time to, I guess, take a step back and, and have that conversation. And some people may not be willing to listen and some people may, may not understand it. So it's also understanding that environment. And some teams, I guess, are, you're, you're lucky in some respects that some teams are better equipped and, and maybe closer knit to be able to have those types mm -hmm. of conversations. You know, I had a conversation with um, when I did the Heads Up series with and I was talking with Jurgen Klopp and Andy Robertson and they were talking about how the fact that the club's been the the squad has been together like the bulk of the squad have been together for about three years and that makes a massive difference in them being able to have these conversations with each other as well as the fact that they have a professional that is pretty much a part of the group as well. 
you mentioned you work there and you know you've got your own production company doing doing great work there someone who's sort of slightly uh less down that road so far but he is making videos i just want to touch on it quickly more as a as a case study marvin as opposed to the individual um incident but obviously Watford's Ben Foster at the moment he he's got his YouTube channel and I think it's fairly well publicized I think he's been honest that he has these things that he has his cycling he does the videos and they're a way of sort of compartmentalizing his life and dealing with um it's you know he he sees the the video thing as a a sort of a hobby I guess and that's part of his way of of dealing with life as a professional footballer which is is fraught and difficult for all the reasons we've we've discussed (laughs) I mean, obviously it came to a head, I think it was last week, when I think Watford supporters were feeling a little bit tetchy. Everyone's feeling a little bit tetchy at the moment because of lockdown and all the various restrictions and the worries about about the future. And then Watford had lost. And I think perhaps a comment Ben Foster made was slightly misconstrued about whether he should include the celebration of uh, an opposition striker. We all know. Yeah. We all know that you know. If I scored a goal in Ben Foster's net, the first thing I'm doing is pointing at that <laughs> that GoPro camera, and I'm sure you'd probably be the same. But do footballers have a responsibility to think about their outlets a little bit more, or if it's something that they enjoy, should they just be allowed to to do it? I can see why some people have have been unhappy with with him doing that, or the you know the way I guess he portrayed it on his social media, but. In the end of the day, you know, this is, football is a game that moves very, very quickly. And I, this is one thing that I, I mentioned as well, is that, you know, because people are maybe upset the fact that, you know, the team's lost, he's conceded a couple of goals. Maybe he's made a mistake. I've actually not seen the goal, so I don't, <laughs> I don't, I've not seen the goal that he's potentially made a mistake for, so I, I can't comment on that. But in the end of the day, football moves on, you know, and I, 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 I understand that people can be quite sensitive to to it, but I don't see I don't think they should be because mm. in the end of the day football is football is entertainment. If you're not entertained, that is because you don't want to be entertained. If you're coming into football and you're wanting to you know, you're wanting to watch football, you're wanting to partake in this industry and in in whatever capacity that may be, but not be entertained, then why are you doing it to yourself? Yeah, sure. You know, you just football's football has changed a lot over the last ten to fifteen years and social media has played a massive part in that. And we talk about modern day clubs, we talk about modern day players, and modern day fans are are also a massive part of that. You know, I think even from my perspective as a fan, the way I talk about football now, because I I I'm very much probably still in between that state of being a player and a fan. But I'm very much a football fan and I talk about football the same way a lot of other people do, but maybe from a different perspective because I have played the game as well. Sure. And so I think people need to, I guess, understand that, you know, in the end of the day, this is entertainment and there are many different ways of entertaining people. And and I think what Ben Foss is doing, I mean, in reality, you know, if Watford were winning every game, people would say, this is so great. Yeah, brilliant yeah. like the insight that we're getting into a professional football player's career someone of his stature that's played at his level really getting it to the nitty-gritty of of you know what the day-to-day life of a professional football player is most people would be saying this is such an amazing insight thank you thank you thank you for giving us this insight because this is exactly what 
the platforms such as YouTube and the reason why social media exists is to give people an insight. Yeah, on, on that, Marvin, do you think that... And I'm I'm really sorry, these feel like really difficult questions and I feel like I'm no, putting, no, put, putting you on the spot a little bit. I'm pretty sure you can handle it, though. So do you think... Because I, th- I think I'm guilty of this. I put my hands up and I certainly have been in the past. Do you think footballers are held by supporters to a, a higher level of, of accountability than is perhaps fair or than perhaps they would sort of give to themselves I think the one that always sort of sticks in my throat a little bit is the loyalty thing or oh, there's no there's no loyalty in football anymore whereas you know if I came home and I was looking for a new job and I got a new job that was um, secure twice as much money in a place I wanted to live you know I'd expect my friends to to be really pleased for me my parents would be pleased and I would see that as a success where where sometimes you know, your player moves on, and football, football sports. Ah, oh, there's no loyalty anymore. And he's, in the reality, is the player's gone on to earn more money, to be security, and to to perhaps achieve more. So, again, just an example. But do you think there's a, there's a danger, and is that one of the the downsides of of being a footballer that you're held to a an unnecessarily high standard, perhaps? At times, I think, yeah, and I think the reason I say that because many people say, well. You know why shouldn't they be held to account or whatever because they have platforms that paid very, they paid very well etc. But you know at times the argument is players should be more down to earth. They should be more like players from the olden times. They should be, you know, they should be closer to fans and and engage more and be more personable. And yet at times when those people those personalities do come out and people are very honest and and just themselves they just get batted down it's a very difficult question to answer actually because <laughs> i did warn you, know, you. <laughs> it, it's i think people should be be able to be themselves you know and, and i look at the nba as a great example for a sport that that has massive massive personalities you know people who are earning <laughs> extortionate amount of monies like uh, you know it dwarfs what football players earn and these are people at the highest levels and they're still so in touch with their community and their people because their audiences allow them to bring their personalities to the table every day. Their audiences, the fans allow them to, the clubs allow them to be themselves all the time. And as much as people may say they want players to be themselves and be very honest, but do they, will they allow that to happen? Will they allow them this, mm. the space to, to be themselves and partake in these types of conversations? Because as I as I mentioned in the conversation I had with um, you know a few people on Twitter, if I was a football player, I would have just been attacked for the what what I was saying as opposed to actually being able to have a conversation. It's interesting you mentioned the NBA, Marvin. What I really really enjoy, well, one of the great things I, I like about American sport is that is that access, and you could argue that perhaps it crosses a line and players do become too much of a, a sort of publicly owned commodity if you like but you know the NFL they're they're mic'd up and, and all that sort of stuff and you get some incredible footage do you think perhaps opening the doors in you know there's, there's locker room footage isn't there and um, all sort of and and I think that American sportsmen certainly seem able to find their voice a little bit quicker and a little bit better than perhaps over here just because of the the, the access is so so free I wonder if 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 there was a more of a, you know, the, the the barriers were less. Do you think the do you think that would help the sort of relationship between perhaps supporters and and players, but more importantly, allowing the the players to for, to let that personality and that identity that you spoke about sort of form itself. I definitely think so because you, if you if you think about it, how how can you personally relate to someone that 
isn't real. Mm. How can you relate to a version of someone that you know is is fabricated and you know is is molded to to look a specific way to appease people? If that's the case, then then how how are you supposed to relate to them? How are you supposed to warm to them and, and connect with that person? Because you just think, well, I don't believe what you're saying. So I'm I'm not gonna like how can I how can there be anything there? That rings true as well at the moment. I think without without supporters in the ground, they're not able to have even that. It's not a connection in the in a physical sense of the word, but sit there and watch their their team play and get the the, the reality. The the reason for them being a supporter isn't there, and I think perhaps that's why things feel a little bit prickly at the moment. I I, I think, and uh, I think I think that's a really good point. One of the other things that I know you're you're interested in and you work around is is helping players transition. And, and perhaps plan for for what might happen after football, and you know there's an increasing route from playing into the playing football into into perhaps the media. There's more and more roles, you know, live reporting and Sky Sports News, all that sort of stuff. What? How difficult can it be to to get prepared when you're when you're playing? It's very difficult. Just going off the conversation that we're currently having, it shows how difficult it is because with players have an interest outside of the game, there's always going to be barriers. You know, if I was playing at a Premier League team right now and, and you know, perhaps my form wasn't great and I was a filmmaker, people would have a lot of problems with that. You know, imagine now, um, you know, I can't, I can't even think of a player who's on or off, in or out of form, but imagine now someone was not playing well and they're doing this. You know, you look at what Ben Foster's trying to do with... You know, the next stage of his career, he's trying to build a platform to enable him to to step over to another side and, you know, transition quite smoothly. And that's coming with a barrier. So it's very difficult to, to do. And, you know, one of the things I, why I think that's quite unfair is that, you know, for football players, they, you know, they would have spent years and years and years prepping, essentially, to become professional football players. Relatively, you don't just turn up at 18 and say, right, I'm going to be a professional now. You start five, six seven, eight, training, practicing, playing games, doing everything you can to learn, improve and hone your craft so that one day you can become a professional and you can exceed and, and do well in this in this industry. And when you want to then go from one industry to another, it's ridiculous, you know, quite frankly, to suggest that someone should just one day just say, right, today, that's it. I'm, I'm finishing this industry. I'm going to start in, in another industry. And you know, you may think, well, somebody's, some of these players are earning £100,000 a week. But what about the ones that, that aren't? What about the ones that maybe are earning £500 a week or on average throughout their career, they're earning £1,500 a week? And it's still good money. But when you look at over a period of time, at some point, anyway, they're going to have to, they're going to have to work. And beyond that, you know, even if, you're, even if you have all the money in the world, if you have no purpose and you have nothing to wake up for every day, then what, what, what are you doing? You're doing a, obviously doing a great job of, of that transition. I think you retired, what was it, two years ago? Well, 2019, wasn't it, you, you retired? Yeah. And I think you, you realised, didn't you, it, or it certainly appeared to me that you, you wanted to do something else and you, and you realised what you wanted that to be and what you wanted to stand up for and advocate for and... You, which was which was admirable thank you did you find that people that even though it was just clearly such a thing that you were passionate about 
that was so important and worthwhile. Did you feel perhaps that people, was there any negativity, any pushback to it? After I'd retired? Well, I don't know, because it felt to me that you knew what you wanted to do quite er- quite early. So, yeah, I guess it, as the transition happened, I suppose. I think after I'd retired, it was pretty easy to be mm-hmm. honest in that in that sense that that people were you know happy for the fact that I knew what I wanted to do and and were very supportive in you know multiple industries you know media in film in television in the mental health space you know I've, I've very lucky that I've been able to open up a network of people that I can have great conversations with I can get great advice from and and just lean on for support as well and I think that's invaluable really and um, I think that's something that outside of the football industry anyway that is very much the case you know being a football player going into another industry it intrigues a lot of people hmm. so they're, they're interested to learn about how you can cross that bridge and, and also why you're crossing that bridge. Yeah, one of the strands that we mentioned is the is the production side of things with the with the video and you you mentioned Jurgen Klopp that you, you've worked with since you've come out of the game but stayed in it sort of from the from the other side what what would you what do you say your main takeaways have been looking from the outside in about football in the last couple of years when i when i look now and i look back at particularly players you know i i very much think they have no idea what what their worth is mm. and i think that probably comes from the fact that on the whole they're told that they only need to focus on football and and pretty much they they just need to play and shut up you know that that's what players have pretty much told on the whole, and they have no idea the strength of their brands, their industry expertise and knowledge. Mm. Which something that I found out and finding finding out is that it's completely invaluable. That's something massively that I've that I've learned and and understood over the past year and a half, and also that that fans have so much power that that they don't even realize in cheering on on fans, but in terms of what actions clubs make what sponsors do and what brands align with the club very much comes from the fans. And I don't think fans also realise how much power they have in the game. They can make or break almost. And just yeah. go, go, let's put your boots back on then quickly, Marvin. Thank you for, <laughs> for sticking with us and taking up a lot of your time here. But when would you say you were most happy and content as a, as a footballer? And what do you think it was that, that made you made it like that? I mean, it was definitely my time at Watford. And what made it like that is because of the feel and that came from the fans, the people at the club and the players I was playing with. You know, I came up in the, through the academy with a lot of people that I would call friends and who are still friends now. And that, I guess, maybe made me not realise how big an industry football was, how big a league the championship was, how big a club, how big it was to play for a club like Watford as well. And it's strange to look back and think, you know, where I was then and kind of the journey I went on because... Everything was so different when I left. Yeah, not not in a great way. Are you able to, sh- yeah. to could for those of, those that aren't aware, can you sum up your departure from Watford? <laughs> uh, chaotic, <laughs> in, in a word, I would say, because uh, it was under the um, the chairman that shall or the owner that shall not be named. We won't. We don't need to. The infamous. Yeah, but <laughs> people will know straight away who we mean. But yeah, you were you went to Bolton, didn't you? And it was on a yeah. Watford were playing, weren't they? What, what was the what was the sort of chronology of it, of events that that day? Um, so we had Millwall That's away right. that day. It was a, it was a Tuesday night game, and and we were in a hotel actually. And so, you know, just as normal, I'm preparing for the game because 
I didn't think anything was going to be happening. And then I got a call from my agent asking if I wanted to go to Cardiff. And they were, I think they were top of the league at the time. And I was a little bit hesitant, really. I wasn't really sure if I'd wanted to do it. And waited a few hours. And and I said, well, you know, if that's the case, if, if you know, I'm going to be sold and then then okay <laughs> you know because you know one of the things that I was reminded of is that the club needed to sell a player in that window and or in the summer to basically you know stay afloat yeah because I think that was pretty much the case on a year by year basis yeah, at the sure. club at the time and then ended up going on the bus with the with the team to the game I was pulled out of the squad which I didn't actually so even when I've I've said that Potentially, yes, to Cardiff. I still expected to play. I didn't expect that to go through. Right. <laughs> and then I was pulled out of the team by the infamous yeah. um, owner at the time. <laughs> uh, went to the stadium with the, with the team and then got a call while I was standing in a tunnel waiting to be picked up and asked if I'd like to go to Bolton. And they were in the Premier League at the time. And I said, well, yeah, if, if, if it's between Bolton and Cardiff, you know, then it's a no-brainer, really. An opportunity to play in the Premier League sure. is, you know no-brainer and so that was it and I went to the Watford Stadium I was picked up driven to the Watford Stadium and literally with maybe an hour or so to spare I had to sign a couple of documents to basically extend the the deadline sure the deadline was like 11 o'clock or something and then ended up signing for Bolton about two in the morning I think it was wow so we talked about pressure a lot and how and how you deal with it straight away you can you can tell there so in you were made aware that selling playing staff was important for the continued, well, existence, really, of the club. Did you feel a sort of weight on your shoulders about that? So, like, look, really, I have to move if, if Watford are going to survive. If I don't go, then they're going to struggle. And then, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, you're a £3 million Premier League player all of a sudden. Yeah. That's yeah. hard to, to both, though, both those things are, are hard to to process and just on on that we you know Ishmael Asar is, is is a player that Watford supporters are talking about a lot at the moment and the thing that you can't avoid is the big big price tag so does that play on a on a player's mind that the amount that has been paid for them I mean it does when you're consistently reminded of it <laughs> yeah geez, yeah. So yeah and I, I think one of the biggest things is is that people often forget how young these guys are as well you know when I moved to Bolton I was 20 and you know, I'm, I was a kid. You know, twenty years old is, is a kid, really. I've not at that time. I'd I'd lived on my own for six months, and you know, all of a sudden, I was moving to the other side of the country, and on a, on a moment's notice, you know, not really understanding what I was going to be in for, the dynamic and of the new place that I was going to be in, and didn't I didn't really have time to do any research or understand and you know that's why the January transfer window is obviously difficult and deadline day in particular is probably the worst time for a player to move ever really pleased as Watford supports and as a Watford podcast that your happy memories are uh, from Vicarage Road from your for your playing yeah. career but you mentioned the academy pathway and that was something that at the time we were doing the podcast when you had you when you were in the team and we were delighted to see guys like yourself coming through the academy and playing well doing well earning your moves uh, because it felt like the club was delivering it was doing something it was taking youngsters local people um to, to and and bettering them and, and setting them on a, on a on a pathway and we took a lot of pride in that and over the last sort of five or ten years or so i suppose that has 
diminished a little bit for obvious reasons. When you get into the Premier League, it's it's more difficult. But what is that journey like from you know academy through to to first team? And if you could give some advice to to Marvin Sordell as he started his footballing journey, what would it be? The, I mean, first start that process and that journey is is just an exciting one really I think particularly for Watford being at Watford at the time pathway to the first team was so clear it was it was right there you know, you'd get to train with the first team on a regular basis whilst in the youth team you'd be exposed to it you know in and around the, the, the dressing room and the environment so it was really exciting because you're thinking that at any moment it could be one training session that turns everything around us. You know, Ross, Jen- Ross Jenkins went over to the first team in pre-season mm. as a second-year scholar and didn't come back. <laughs> you know, and, and we we saw that and think, thought, wow, this is so, so inspiring for us as a group to think this could be us at any moment, literally any moment, and we could get a debut. We, that's all you want as a professional football player. Is you want you want to play you want to play football. You want to play at the highest level you can you possibly can. For me, I think if I was looking back. The advice I'd definitely give to myself was would be to be more confident in myself and and have more belief in what I can do. You know, some people may look at that, may listen to that, sorry, and 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 say, well, I would have thought he was confident and maybe even had a bit of arrogance about him, but that is most certainly not the case. And you know, even up until now, you know, I'm one of many many people I'm sure in the world that suffer from imposter syndrome, and when you're doing okay you sometimes question whether you should be in the position that you are in. And so that's definitely a massive piece of advice I would would have liked to have had at that time is to continue just believing in myself and my abilities. And, and that's definitely a piece of advice I'd like to give to, to anybody listening as well. It's good advice. And it's, I think it's an important message about not assuming about how other people are, how they, what, what they're made of, because um, yeah. I think there's too much of that, that these days. And, and in these difficult times, everyone needs to, needs to kind of stick together a little bit. So Marvin, I think the best way to sum up what you're up to at the moment, check out your website. You're up to amazing work. You've done, you've done incredible work. I think we Thank mentioned you. as Watford supporters, we were proud of you on the pitch. Well, that continues to be the case. Um, the work you do, it's visible. We see it and we know it makes a difference. So we, we're still proud of you. So, so keep up that, that amazing work. Um, what, what are you up to sort of in the, in the, in the next couple of weeks, months, years? I am filming a short film in collaboration with Joe Media and the charity Calm. That'll be out in February, the beginning of February, I think. Awesome. And then also mini series that we co-produce with Yahoo which hopefully will be out this month or the start of next month. We've been that's been pushed back a lot, so I don't I don't even know when that's going to be out. To be honest, we'll keep our eyes peeled. Marvin, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much. Cheers. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. Well, Michael, he has changed uh, from the the man that we spoke to I don't know when he played for Bolton yeah. um, many years ago when he used to share pictures of his dinner. Uh, and and the movies he used to watch on, on Twitter, it, it, it's it's actually remarkable. But it's such an uplifting, you know, to hear him speak the way he speaks about the things he speaks about is, as you said beforehand, it's inspiring, hugely impressive. And I think the reason he speaks like that is because he's confident in what he's talking about because he understands it. And the reason he understands it is that he's lived it. And I'd say again, what he he recognised while while he was going through it, 
that other people would be going through it and therefore that if he could talk about it he could help other people and I think it was it was really noticeable when he mentioned recognising traits in other footballers that he, rec- he he knew he went through as well as, as little warning signs that they they might be struggling so just the way that you know he's he's younger than me and speaks far more um, articulately and and impressively than than I do. It's 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 inspirational. It's a word we keep using, but I I was in awe of him and I remain in awe of him. People who are able to find their voice and to use it for for the greater good now more than any other time perhaps when the world is so divisive when it's so binary whether it's so you're either on that side or the other side you either agree with me or you're against me for him to be so considered yet so confident and assured it's just really really wonderful to to hear and it all comes from i think wanting to do good wanting to help people wanting to use his experiences um, to help others and to make other people understand perhaps they might not be going through a, a tough situation but to, to, to perhaps make them understand that other people might be and to, and how they can recognise that and, and help it and and one of the big things that came out of it is I do think at this time we, we, do, we do reference it from time to time we are going through difficult times in this world at the moment whether it's politics, whether it's health whether it's football and Watford not doing great there's we haven't got much to cling on to at the moment and it can be can be tough and i think marvin's point about reminding us that 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 football players are just blokes chaps youngsters trying to do their best human beings um and perhaps we need to be a little bit kinder to them just like we need to be a little bit kinder to each other and i think if there's anything that i take away from well i take away a lot lot from the chat but take a beat take a breath just think about the reality of of the situation of the world of life um before perhaps going in two footed on on a particular issue or a particular player and um yeah i i i i finished that call with marvin feeling you know empowered feeling like a better person feeling like i have a better outlook on uh, on life really um so it was a it was a pleasure to talk to him i'm hugely grateful for for him giving up his time he gave up a lot more time i suspect than than he had planned to at the start me go on who'd have thought it eh? <laughs> um but yeah at, at, at this time it, it, it with the with the world the way it is with watford the way they are i thought it was hugely hugely timely and uh yeah what a guy and the club are sort of aware of, of, of these different times and, uh, and put out a lot of services or restructured a few services this week. Uh, you know, if anything is going wrong and the club can help you, not just with being a Watford supporter, uh, there's the at Watford FC help uh, on Twitter. Uh, a phone number you can call, which is 01923 or the email for anything, any help, any inquiries that you have for the club. Uh, it's supporters at watfordfc.com. Uh, they're doing their thing. And, you know, we're not the club and we're not anything uh, massive like that. You know, we, we are, our DMs are open. And if we can help you in, in any way, then do get in touch with us. Let's not underestimate that, what the, the club's doing. I think the, the Hornets at Home initiative is absolutely fantastic. It started during the, the first lockdown and they brought it back full time. And I think that just shows, you know, it was the scars for GT day at the uh, the Huddersfield game and the fact that Watford continue to look out for their community and they recognised it during the first lockdown but have now realised that that's something they can do at, you know full time really not just during lockdown and you know that all the details are on the website if you check it out but basically if you feel like you're struggling or if you feel like someone and you know is struggling and could and could use a pick me up get in touch with the club they will call you back and talk about it and work out the best way 
of, 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 of how they can help. They can't solve everything, but what they can do is a little nudge here and there, and they can they can help out. And the fact that they are they have that roadmap to make that happen and to make it so easy, I think is is testament to the to the brilliant people at our brilliant club who who work there. They have the club at their heart, and you can say all you want about transfer activity and about being offside too many times. Ultimately, it's that club. It's the badge that we love. And the people there that make sure that Watford remains entrenched and committed to the to community, like all that work that Elton John and, and GT did and, and people before them, to make sure that that lives on. I cannot speak highly enough of the of the efforts they, they do to, to, to bring that to fruition. It, it can get overlooked easily because football is more exciting than, than former players phoning someone. It is. But the fact that that happens, it could make all the difference to to an individual. And and the fact that Watford put the structure in place to make it happen, I'm I'm so proud of it and so glad to see it. You know, they've opened the doors to the to the NHS Trust again. They didn't make a big song and dance over that, but the the NHS did, and, and into Vicarage Road. That's what a football club is about. That's why we give up our time happily to talk about it on the podcast. That's why so many other people do so many things about Watford. There is so much to be proud of. There is, they are working so hard. And if you need it, take advantage of it. Use it. That's what they're there for. It's a football club with roots in the community. We are the community. And like John said, if any of us can ever be of any use, if it's a DM, if it's whatever... Then, then just re- reach out. As Marvin said, as as I said after my chat with Marvin, let's be good to each other, and and we can get through it. And uh, let's be good to each other, and we can get through it. We certainly can. And uh, we'll get through another game on Tuesday. Watford play at home to Barnsley. Thank you very much, Michael. No problem. A massive thanks to uh, to Marvin, and huge, thank you to everyone huge. that listens as well. We've uh, we continue to get lovely feedback, and and we try and tweet back as often as possible. But it does it means a lot. You know, we've talked about how cathartic it is for us to talk Watford after a game. It really, really is. It helps. But the thought that people are listening and enjoying it, it uh, it makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. We really, really appreciate it. So thank you so much, and thank you to Jason. And it was a bit of a different day at Vicarage Road. We weren't all able to be there to celebrate Graham Taylor and, and everything that he gave to this club for years on after his death but Mike was there and this is what the 72nd minute of the game sounded like at Vicarage Road today there is only one Graham Taylor 